And you're listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, Canada. And you just heard right there the Phil Smith album. And you heard a selection right there, The Shame I Feel. And you are listening to the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. And today on the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show, a selection of the Phil Smith This Is Your Life Story. Well, kind of. We're going to have an interview with Phil Smith. We're also going to have an interview with Colin Griffith and Mary Jo Kapechny and Andy Graffiti and Zippy 
Pinhead. And what do all these people have in common? A release on Supreme Echo! Yes, Jason Flower from Victoria, Supreme Echo record label, is putting out a reissue of all their recordings. And we heard not from Jason's reissue, from 1981, the Phil Smith's album, Corsage, doing The Shame I Feel. And Phil Smith was the lead singer in The Waste of Lives, and he will be in very shortly. But we heard some non-Waste Lives right there, The Shame I Feel, from the Zulu Records release, 1983, the Phil Smith album. Also coming in today is Colin Griffiths, who was in the Waste of Lives, but he was in some other bands too, most notably the U-Jerk. And we're going to hear right now from brand new, well, well, within this last year, a live album by the U-Jerk from... May the 26th, 1980. We are going to hear right now a whole bunch of tunes live by You Jerk. The Eisenhower and Hippies, Hash Dreams of the Everyday Housewife, and St. John Cap Ferrat. We're going to hear as much as we can. And then an interview with The Wasted Live. So here is some stuff not put out. This is not put out by Jason Flower and Supreme Echo. This live LP was actually put out through Emily Carr, but is actually released on the Primary Information record label, Emily Carr University Press. And this is a double 12-inch record. So here we go, the you jerks with you jerk with Eisenhower and the hippies. Next song is from our EP Eisenhower and the Hippies. Just released today. We are not hearing some you jerks right now so i will simply take the needle off the record and put it to a turntable that is working right here and this is the you jerks with eisenhower and the hippies Next song is from our EP, Eisenhower and the Hippies. Just released today. Eisenhower and the Hippies! Beats, Potter, Potter! Eisenhower and the Hippies! Serenity and Tranquility! Thank you. 
You are still listening to the Nardwar de Human Serviette Radio Show, a live recording by the You Jerk. And here is some more You Jerk live on CITR. Coming up, an interview with The Waste of Lives and also an appearance by Zippy Pinhead of The Stiffs on CITR. It's really nice to see everybody out there. It's a full house, obviously. Well, to move back. Next little song is about a place I'd never want to go and never want to wish any of you nice Vancouverites to be there. Did you 
see anywhere, any time of the day. Who gave up the good life for me? The everyday housewife who brandished Jagger's knife for me. The everyday housewife who burned down the duplex of a love so complex. The everyday housewife who gave up the good life for me.
Baccarat. It's a song where you can see to the Bocarandas of Italy. And from Sun Beach, you can see to the Esquerel. This is an view at Grand Panorama. You can see in song, song, Caparal. It's on the flyer. Come on, Avenida. Come on, Barcelona. Se llama La Paloma. It's on the station. Balenar. Para las chicas y las chicas y las otras que frecuenten San Juan Capra. Why did the punk cross the road? Because he was stapled to the check-in. Anglican. And you're still listening to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. And who do we have in the studio today? Who are you? 
Phil. Uh, please, could you move closer to the mic? Who are you, Phil? Phil uh, from Wasted Lives. And we also have in the studio... Colin. From? Wasted Lives. Wasted Lives. And Colin, what did we just hear right there? We just heard a bit of the live record. What did we hear towards the that, end of the live that record? That was a former band of mine called UJ3RK5, and the five is silent, so that's you jerk. I said you jerk, but occasionally I say you jerks. Some people do. Is there a hyphen is the question. I love that there's a five yeah. involved. What did we hear particularly? I think we heard side... B, Eisenhower and Hippies. And at the end, Colin, we heard a whole bunch of like tuning, guitar noise, feedback. What is going on there? And where is that from? What do you remember about that gig? Well, we were at the Commodore. We were opening for the Gang of Four. Um, Generalized mutterings aside, which you just heard at the end there, um, you, you heard a band that was kind of pathological about rehearsing. Uh, the story there is uh, we'd rehearse for three nights a week for three hours a night for one song for three weeks. And, you know, it was like, where do your fingers go? It, it came out of nowhere, and then we just put it put it together over a course of about a year, I think. And it paid off for I a record. So. I'm very happy. Well, f- this particular record, yes. who put this out? This is this, Emily Carr, this, right? Uh, it's a shared production with um, Emily Carr, and that was Kathy Slade uh, from Reed, uh, which is an amazing bookstore at, at the art school. And uh, Primary Information, which is a partnership with Kathy. Uh, these guys are based in New York. The edition is 600. Uh, they got 300 and Kathy got 300. So it's like West Coast, East Coast. It's a beautiful release. Who I'm else really was in, just quickly, who else was in the You Jerk? Who else, who else do we hear? Well, there's a bunch of them. Uh, there's Jeff Wall, Rodney Graham, Ian Wallace, Denise McLeod, Kitty Byrne, myself, and Frank Ramirez. And uh, together you are the you jerk. Yes, indeed, the you jerk. And this indeed. record just came out in the past uh, year, yeah, right? Yeah, in the in the last year, it's kind of a, a vanity pressing uh, that Kathy came up with. It was basically her her whole concept, and we we got the. Um, the board mix from Grant McDonough at Zulu. He has a nice little archive of a bunch of stuff, not just U-Jerk. Um, and so they colluded to uh, generate this record, and uh, all we had to do was sign off on it, and uh, they went ahead and did it. So I'm very thrilled with that. And to begin an Ardwarda Human Serviette radio show, we played something, Phil, from your album, the Phil Smith album. What can you say about the track I played, The Shame I Feel by Corsage? Well, thank you. That's great. And um, Phil Smith. If you could move a bit closer, sorry, a bit closer to the mic. I think it was the first Zulu Records release and. There was a, we had a bunch of cassettes floating around, different projects. You know, Vancouver's one degree of separation. So Rodney Graham from You Jerk was in Blanche Whitman and so on. And then at a party, Grant said, oh, well, you got these tapes. I want to start a label. Let's do it. So we did it. And we mastered it in New York, pressed it in L.A., had to bring 500 records on the plane. And uh, that was that. The Phil Smith album from 1983, but the You Jerks double live album is from 2017. A bit of a difference, isn't there? That's true, but you know how the years go. I mean, fast, fast. Look at Wasted Lives. And that's what we're here to celebrate today, the Wasted Lives. Who was in the Wasted Lives? Because I haven't 
played any Wasted Lives yet. Who is in the Wasted Lives? Us. And Andy Phil and Colin. <laughs> yes. Us doesn't work on radio. Yeah, I yeah, always yeah. wanted to say that. <laughs> I've, well, although it might work if we are videotaping this. And we are. No, we're not. <laughs> no surveillance. Oh, this is interesting. It feels weird not to be surveilled. Um, so there's Andy Graffiti, Mary Celeste, or Mary Armstrong, depending on you know what she wants to be called. I called her Mary Jo Kopechny. No, that's old news. I knew her from the modern end. You did. Mary Jo Kopechny. Was that's I right. wrong? Was I wrong? No, Phil, that, you, it was right that. for the time. It, it was, was right for time. Okay, absolutely. And and now you know she goes by Mary Celeste, and and for official. Thing she'll call herself Mary Armstrong, all of which are completely legit. And also, we had Andrew Graffiti, right, on drums? And Andy Graffiti, yes. And I, and E. Uh, and yeah, and the guy's a miracle worker. And, and there's a whole story about that in the booklet that accompanies the 45, which we are thrilled with because of Jason Flower in Victoria, Supreme Echo Records. The guy is. Marvel. I mean, I don't know how he does it. I think I know why, but that has, you know, I won't go into that. Uh, but he's been fabulous to work with. Uh, it's a true collaboration, and uh, I'm thrilled with the outcome. So what do you think, Phil? Phil Smith, the name Phil Smith. That's my punk rock name. Your punk you rock that. name. But going back for punk rock, it was like Johnny Rotten, Sid Vicious, but you were Phil Smith. Was there a reason behind that? Did you feel having a generic name worked against you? Well, I was, first of all, trying to foreshadow... Uh, sorry about being Phil Smith being a generic name. No, it's fine. Is, it's... is Phil Smith a generic name? I blame his parents. Uh, yes, and it was to foreshadow the coming of the Smiths in the 80s. There you go. It's the bridge between Patty Smith and the Smiths, <laughs> even though they hadn't formed yet. And just thought what could be more punk than punk would be to go one step further with the anti-punk name. So, Phil Smith of The Wasted Lives. What's the difference between The Wasted Lives and The Big Black Puppets? Because on this record, it's kind of a ratio of your seven-inch. Could you explain about The Big Black Puppets versus The Wasted Lives? And were you, Colin, involved in both bands? Uh, only Wasted Lives. Explain, please. <laughs> okay, so Phil. we had one song finished by Wasted Lives. That's Divorce. Oh, what the, year was this? This was 79, 1979. Yeah. Uh, but we wanted to do a single because we liked the song, but we needed a B-side. And, um, you know, the other Wasted Lives people were tied up with other stuff, but Mary was still around. So it was actually a Wasted Lives song, but it was with Bill Napier Hemi and Dimwit. And then we thought, we can't really call it Wasted Lives, because it's not, so... Why didn't you call it Wasted Lives when many bands, like Frankie Goes to Hollywood, play, like, 86th Street in the 80s with, like, no original members? So you could have called that Wasted Lives, right? We could have, but... You are so true to the vision. It was true punk, (laughs) and Colin would have been very annoyed. So, um, but then we didn't realize that it was actually what has come to be known as the Split 45, right? Because we just did it because... That was what we had to do. Uh, quote, no one will be able to find this record. Chris D. I, I think, is it Chris D. from the Flesh Eaters? I'm not sure. I still can't find one. The review even said no one will be able to find this record. What do you remember about the record coming out back then in 79 in Vancouver? 
Um, it was around, and I, I mean, it sold out its pressing of 500. I think, you know, back in those days, just to get a record out was such an adventure that um, people generally had an interest. And then it just came and went, and time moved on. And I don't know, people still seem to like the, the divorce song. So here we are in 2018. Well, it seemed to be that that review maybe was from L.A. or San Francisco. I think it's from Slash Magazine in L.A., yeah. Did you get much distro for there? Yeah, I mean, there was the the late 70s network, so it got to New York, it got to England, it got to down the coast, but, you know, just the, uh, the usual standard 500 copy punk pressing, and that was that. All hand-glued uh, covers, of course. And your bandmate, Colin... In the You Jerk was Jeff Wall. Yes. And he did the cover art for The Wasted Lives? Yes, he did for that single. Right. Yes. Was that hard to get Jeff to do the cover? Uh, no. I mean, at that time, everyone just hung out and there was no sort of um, stratification. And, uh, you know, You Jerk would play the Buddha with the pink section. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was curious about the Buddha and about reviews etc i have actually down here an old edition of snot rag fanzine oh yeah. courtesy grant at zulu records and on the cover that is you right uh yes that is could you describe to the people listening oh. what is going on there phil and what zine is this and was there many local punk zines um i think there were quite a few zines i mean snot rag was the first but then there was schizoid and i seem to remember some others and uh Oh, this goes back to, uh, I think the Georgia Strait published a kind of zine called Public Enemy. and um, Which got you fired. Yes, that's correct. Because you were too intellectual? Uh, I don't know. There that, is that. You, you'd have to ask them. Well, you said you were too intellectual because of an Only Ones article. Oh, you got maybe. fired over the Only Ones? <laughs> yeah. That is true dedication. <laughs> I love the Only Ones. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And that's also Steve Macklem on the cover. I believe. And so what is happening there on the cover? Oh, <laughs> you tell me. And if we open up to the anointed page, we have an excerpt of a gig from Friday, March 23rd, 1979, the Dishrags, Wasted Lives, and DOA. What do you remember about that gig in Victoria, where you played with DOA in Victoria, what do you remember, Colin? I remember Andy being almost like comatose. He was so ill. And there's a photograph somewhere of him just looking at the photographer. He's just leaning back, and he's completely done. As you were playing? Yeah, but we were only about three songs in, and he was just like, I, I, how do you get through this, Andy? And he did, and acquitted himself beautifully, but he was trashed at the end. It was a local gig for him, wasn't it, uh, in Victoria? Because you and him are from Victoria. Yes, we are. Um, but at the time, we were all living here. Uh, so it was easy. We just, like, palled around. And he, he had moved over by that time. Uh, and I, I first met him in Victoria, but I found him here, and then we went from there. Um, the guy is one of the best drummers I've ever played with, and he's the nicest guy as well. So that's a wonderful combination that you want to perpetuate. What do you remember about that gig, Phil? Um, it was actually a great gig. Victoria, we played a few times, and Victoria, you know, they didn't get many shows, so when there was one, people really came out. Remember, there was a little bit of the bro thing in the front, yeah. you know, kind of smashing people around, which sucked. 
But, um, the, you know, great to play with the Dish Rags, great to play with DOA. And uh, it was really, it was like some big glass student union place, I think. Um, and, yeah, it was, yeah, it was I, at I, the sub. Yeah. At the sub. I, think yeah. it was, I thought that was one of our better shows. It was. It was awesome. And the Dish Rags were awesome, too. They were, they tore the place apart. A review said a lot of people had sandals in the audience. Does that mean bro factor? <laughs> uh, that could be hippie. I think it's just Victoria. Yeah, or, but yeah, Victoria. Actually, come to think of it, it's great there was an audience. Like, there were people coming to see you, wasn't it? Yeah. Weren't there? Yeah. Yeah, and, and like I said, in Victoria, because um, the shows were few and far between, uh, people would really come out. And, of course, the dish rags had that hometown exactly. thing, too. Yeah. And, and then DOA, of course. I mean, that's a huge draw back then, so... And we're speaking here to Phil the K Smith. Sure. What is the K from? Or the K? You're the fifth uh, something. Uh, yeah, fifth beetle. Um, I think it goes back t- to this Stanley Park DOA Anarchy Day thing, where the plug was going to be pulled, and somehow we negotiated getting a permit from a Christian youth group or something something. so we managed to get the permit signed over so doa could go ahead and play and therefore the name kissinger seemed to come out of somewhere so we have phil the k smith from the wasted lives the fixer and also colin griffith colin incredibly gross frank crass colin griffith that would be me what was the genesis of that name oh i was really frank but i was really crass so the two got stuck together, and that was my handle for a long time. He's not allowed in the house. Um, it's just too volatile because he goes off in the nicest possible way and just barely gets out of it by the skin of his teeth, but he says what he thinks. Uh, so he's been, you know, that I, I, was, I think he was like the punk head of Hopper. <laughs> You know, the gossip columnists. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly gross, Frank Crass. There you are, writing. I always wonder about that. Was it printed upside down on purpose? Well, it was printed right side up, but it was bound upside down. So you come to the page, and it's the only page that is upside down in snot rag number 16. And so you turn it over, and, and what it is, it's Crass comments. And my take on the situation that particular day uh, but it's rather um, revealing, rather snide, rather compassionate, and rather funny. Uh, so it got printed, and it's nice to see it again. I haven't seen this for years and years. What do you remember about playing with DOA? There was a particular show that you did at Ukrainian Hall where a <laughs> chain got ripped off by the club owner's neck or whatever, like the woman that ran the club. Do you, what do you remember playing with DOA in Ukrainian Hall in Burnaby? It was a wild show. Um, yeah, it was a wild show with Pino Rogeletti in the IUD's opening. Um, was that you singing? No, that was uh, Jerry Barrett singing Pino Rogeletti. Um, and I think this was one of the halls where they'd actually told the hall owners it was like a folk rock combo called Dead on Arrival, singing youthful protest songs. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the troublemakers showed up at the end and basically trashed the place, which was too bad because it was a great hall. Yeah, it did involve the hotel. The, sorry, the hotel <laughs> did involve the hall owner. Yeah, I like think an that, older lady. Yes, got, I think that story is pr- totally true. Yeah, it was kind of scary what yeah. happened to the lady. Yeah, well, there was always that edge. You but know? then the gig went on. No, I the, this the, was after the gig. Oh, it was after the yeah, gig. This is after the gig. It was it's the usual thing, you know, if people have a good time, there's a few morons, it kind of like takes off at the end, people go crazy. What did people 
people think of the Wasted Lives when you guys performed and, you know, when you had your recordings come out? How were you regarded? Uh, incipient, I think, is a proper word because, you see, Brad wasn't part of the mix at that point. The The genesis of, of the band was Brad and I getting together and... Brad Kent. Yeah. and Brad Kent. Uh, yes. And we, with a K... Um, we, Rest in peace, Brad. Indeed, yeah. Um, recently departed. Um, and Brad was, you know, a pretty hardcore rocker. And I had come out of an initial foray with the pulling of sticks. Um, and before that was AV, so I played drums in AV, but I wanted to switch up to guitar for the sticks. But that was one too many guitars eventually. So I did a couple of gigs with them, and then Brad and I got together, and mutual admiration society and we started writing and so it was all going along great and we got uh well that was with taylor he was the drummer at the time taylor little and uh got mary on bass so it was all starting to happen and then um we played the gig with the avengers and they kind of you know tapped them on the shoulder said we need a guitar player so he went to san francisco and at that point, it was like, okay, what do we do? Well, we know the songs. The songs are good, so let's just go out and play. And that we played a few gigs, and, that, and then we moved on to other interests. I mean, the band was only together for six months, um, but it was a lot of fun. And I think the songs are really good. Uh, they hold up to this day, and uh, the recording is excellent. What did it feel like, Phil, to have a bandmate leave for the Avengers? Like, the Avengers, one of the hotter bands on the West Coast. Well, like, the hottest band, perhaps, on the West Coast. Well, well yeah, mi mixed emotions. You know, I mean, we were sad because yeah. we'd, and Colin especially, and Brad had worked out this great two-guitar thing. On the other hand, Brad, great guitarist, great guy, and it was such a fantastic opportunity. And I will say, I love so many Avengers songs, but the one Brad wrote with them called Corpus Christi. It's great. That is one of the greatest songs yep. ever. What do you remember about playing with the Avengers? I think it was like at the Janus Theater. <laughs> That's right. Where, yeah. where was the Janus Theater? It, what was it like? And what was that? Were the Avengers the hottest band on the West Coast? They were, yeah, they were pretty hot. And the Janus Theater was, I think it became a Zalco Fitness. But oh. it was like, a, it was on 4th and Trafalgar, just before McDonald's. That's right. And I think it had been a Legion Hall. Is it still there? No, no. it's like Condoland now or something. Um, but it was a great. It was a great space. It was an upstairs yeah. space. There was like sort of offices downstairs, and uh, I remember a, that was a fun show. I remember I had um, I, I decided I wanted more power on the guitar, so I put two Fender Twins one on top of each other, and it still wasn't quite right. So I hammered uh, a piece of wood on the back to make them a closed cabinet. <laughs> and it sounded great, but, oh, I lost the speaker that night. And then I also got a black eye that night because I was having fun with somebody out in the, on the dance floor. And this other guy took offense. He thought I was, like, harassing this guy. So he just turned me around and poked me in the eye and, you know. I think it was since. Was six. that before or after? We it was played? after. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Yeah, but I had I had a shanger for like a week or so after that. Your guitar power, like the power of the Wasted Lives, is amazing. Like Wirehead is so punk. It is like almost hardcore punk. Were the loudest band that night with the Avengers? Certainly with a setup you had, you must have been. Uh, it was up there, yeah, yeah. But you know, you're 
you're just so innocent in a way. I mean, you don't really have a handle on that. So more is supposed to be better at that point. And the inverse is actually true. Now, I, I think everyone was loud. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just, just you know, Motorhead style. Something about yeah. Marshalls. Because when I listen back to the recordings, and again, we're speaking to Phil Smith and Colin Griffith of the Wasted Lives on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, celebrating the release of your vinyl on Supreme Echo. Indeed. Jason Flower. Jason. Supreme Echo. Like, it's absolutely amazing that he has put this out and so intricately with a booklet and everything. Well, you know, Jason has this whole project of harvesting uh, material from that era. Uh, he's got the Stiffs. He's got a few other bands. He's got uh, what's the one from Toronto? The the metal band, um, Veloc no, v- Velociptor or something like that. Uh, so he he's far and wide with all sorts of uh, interests. I mean, he's he's kind of a, a polymath when it comes to you know trying to make everything. Uh, I think he did Dish Rags, yeah. compilation, which is beautiful. Yeah, and uh, the Zealots, which is great. Zealots, yeah, and with Heather Haley, it's it's, and so he's got. Four more uh, issues coming out simultaneously, one of which is Wasted Lives. Uh, and he'll phone in so he can fill you in on, on kind of the machinations behind all of that. But as I said before, he's been a miracle to work with. And uh, if right. anybody has a chance, uh, you know, just listen to what he has to say. He's got really good ideas. And wherever Jason gets his energy from, oh like bottle it, pass it on. And speaking of callers, I think we have a caller now. Hello, caller. Are you there? Uh, yes, he is. Who are you? Zippy Pinhead. Zippy Pinhead, welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Hey, Nardwar, good to talk to you again. Thank you, and in the background, you also have, who do we have? Zip, hey, how you doing? It's Colin. <laughs> Hi, Colin, how you doing? Awesome, it's yeah. nice to be here. And we also have? Phil Decay, Zippy. Ho, 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 ho. Zippy, what can you say about the Wasted Lives, first off? What can you say about Colin and Phil, the Wasted Lives? Every time I uh, um, saw the Wasted Lives, we had nothing but a great time. It was a a great, great little outfit that, uh, you know, put out out a big noise for a small amount of people. (laughs) (laughs) And what can you say, Colin and Phil, about Zippy's participation, I guess in the Stiffs, because we are celebrating the Stiffs right now. What can you say about Zippy and the Stiffs? Anything? I'm just so happy to see the Stiffs record come out after all these years. I mean, those tapes have been floating around, but, I mean, Zippy is the, you know, the wonder drummer, and it wasn't just the Stiffs. Well, and, and the sex god. (laughs) <laughs> Back in the day, Zip. <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> no, he was so beautiful. I mean, it was outlandish. What uh, did you look like back then, Zippy? Uh, pretty well the same as now. I just had shorter hair. Yeah, and 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 maybe a couple of pounds lighter. Well, there, there's two of you now compared to your skin thin days. <laughs> Pretty well, yeah. That girlish figure is gone. That's for sure. <laughs> but you were saying, Colin, you dressed up quite a bit, like in the pointed sticks. There was a lot of gold, wasn't there? Uh, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the documentation was black and white, but there is a photo of me with um, at the time was gold hair. Uh, gold sunglasses, gold um, little kind of chemise, I would imagine is the proper word. Gold jacket, gold pants, gold boots that I sprayed gold in my gold guitar. 
So it's a, a, a miraculous look uh, that's been copied from Gold that day. Gold too. <laughs> Baboom and Zippy, what do you remember about Phil and Colin specifically, how they looked? How did they look? How, how, how did they look? Yeah, how did they look? <laughs> we all basically uh, had, uh, you know, everybody had their own sense of style when it came when it came to uh, looking. But uh, ours was, uh, as as we used to say, more ours was more of a financial statement than a fashion statement. A boom times two. Now you are saying R, meaning the stiffs. Who was in the stiffs? For people that don't know, who was in the stiffs? That was uh, well. It was formed by Jerry Useless, Jerry Hanna, and um, and then Mike Graham joined uh, shortly thereafter. And Mike came all the way from Chilliwack for practices every day, or well, every day that we practiced, which was a couple times a week, maybe two or three times a week. And he would uh, drive for like an hour and a half from Chilliwack just to practice, which was cool, and Sid Sick, and, uh, and myself, yeah. That was my first band. And Jason Flower from Victoria has now reissued some recordings. How come a 7-inch never came out? Or what recordings are coming out? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I haven't even gotten the... Uh, I, I just found out about the record like, you know, a, m- a month ago. And and I went, oh my God, you got to be kidding! I'm I'm just as shocked as everybody else that this is coming out. And uh, some of the songs that are on there, I'm like, you know, holy moly! I never thought they'd see the light of day ever. Well, what particular song is "Dad's a Pig"? Oh God, I hated my father back then, and it's it's a true story. And uh, so uh, I was walking down the street on Broadway one day, and my dad was a cop. And uh, and uh, I was really broke. I was living with Dimwit and Brad Kent uh, in around Ontario on Seventh Street, and uh, we we were totally broke. We didn't have any money, and I I wasn't old enough to get welfare. And my dad saw me in his cop car, and he and uh, and stopped to find out how I was because I hadn't been living in the house for a long time. And uh, I asked him for some money, and 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 he said, "No, go and get a job and support yourself." And I was really broke, and so I went back to the house and I wrote that song, and I was really pissed off. So, but I ne- like I said, I never thought that uh, I that song would ever see the light of day ever. <laughs> Dad's a pig, no money, twenty first century. Fuck you, oh Canada, homesick, and everyone lies. Wow, there's a couple of them I don't even remember uh, remember at all. How come you never had a 7-inch? Like, what happened? Um, I think everybody had just sort of splintered off right before that was going to happen. So it was, it was like we had a bunch of recordings, but we had no band to back them up. So it was like, you know, I think at the time probably pointless. And I think I moved to San Francisco pretty shortly after that, and I joined the Dills. So, you know, everybody went their own sort of little way, and Jerry and Mike started the Subhumans, and and Sid went into retirement. <laughs> I thought he did Rabbit. Didn't he do the band Rabbit? Oh, yeah, he did Rabbit right after that, and that was it. 
what subhuman songs did the stiffs perform? Because on here you have "fuck you," "Oh Canada," well, did you do "Slave to My Dick"? Like what yeah, subhuman we did songs? Slave to my, yeah, we were the first guys to do, to do "Slave to My Dick" too. Did that make you laugh when you heard that song? Oh God, it was the funniest song. The lyrics of the song it was just the funniest song we'd ever heard in our entire lives, and we went. Well, this is going to be a crowd pleaser. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, uh, lots of people like that one. <laughs> Were you an original member of Victorian Pork? Uh, no, I never played in the Pork. But um, I lived where the Pork practiced. So, I, you know, I'm sure there's a few times where I probably sat in on drums or something like that. But I was never actually in Victoria Pork. After the Dill Zippy, what did you go on to play in? What do you what what bands have you gone in to play over the years? Oh God, you know, Lost Populeros with uh, Art Bergman for, and I played in the Mutants in San Francisco as well. Uh, played in a bunch of bands in San Francisco that you know f- for small little stints because there wasn't a lot of really good drummers down there. So I, I just sort of rented myself out, slutted myself out, so to speak, and uh, ended up playing with a whole bunch of different people. And it, it was fun. Got to meet lots of musical heroes down there and stuff. And I don't know. I, I mean, I played in like, you know, 80 bands since then. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to name them all. Did you play on any Mutants records? Pardon me? Did you play on any Mutants records? Like what? Yeah, yeah. There were, well, it was a recording that we did with Snakefinger right before he died. And uh, it was somewhere in around 1984, 85 that we, that we re- uh, recorded it. But I, I've never had, uh, I never got a copy of it. And every time I try to ask somebody for it, I can't get a straight answer out of them. So uh, I still got to keep digging. If if you want to go and try, go ahead. <laughs> Let me know how you do. I would love to find it. And actually, yeah. Zippy, winding up here, this song, Where's the Butter Knife? By the Evaporators. By my band, the Evaporators. Where's the Butter Knife? I got that song idea from you. Oh, my God. From a story you told me on air. And basically... It was probably the first time I laughed ever on on air. It was a story about 21 Jump Street and death sentence. Oh, boy, that was funny. That was funny. Well, just, you know, having all those guys from 21 Jump Street rent our house out for three days, which was cool because they gave us a lot of money. But, uh, um yeah, we were like real punk rockers, and they were like playing punk rock on TV or something like that. So it w- there was a bit of a clash. You like know? you can go through the DVD of 21 Jump Street and see Death Sentence, Lip Syncing, and Agent Orange Song. Oh, God, and, yeah. And then, of course, Death Sentence got some money, so they went to Victoria to escape their girlfriends, and Pete Puke... Pete Nibblehead stabled his balls to uh to the bus to the table on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then you told me I was one of the, did the story in there. Yeah, that we know that we we, we couldn't uh, we couldn't get a sack off of the uh, uh, of the table of the bus, so we used a, a, an old butter knife and <laughs> took the staples out. And that is the genesis of the evaporators. My band song. Where's the butter knife? Amazing, Zippy. Amazing. Thank you for filling in that viable bit of information. This one up here did you ever work at a gas station at 16th and camby i certainly did i worked there for about four years it was uh it, it was it was great it was awesome <laughs> i'll leave it at that. that that was a great gas station uh, did you give bands free gas um let's just say discounts Ba-boom. So right now, Zippy, we're going to cut into Dad's a Pig. Dad's a Pig. From the recent release, your band, The Stiffs, on Supreme Echo, Jason Flowers' record label. Anything more you want to add to the people out there about the legacy of The Stiffs? Will there be a reunion show? Oh God! Well, nobody's uh, nobody's approached me about it, but if uh, if they want to get and get together and run over the old songs, I'm I'm totally into it. That'd be that'd be a gas. Colin or Phil, any other questions for a Zippy Pinhead at all? I just want to say that Zippy had one of the best apartments in San Francisco that he was gracious enough to let us stay at when we'd go down there. It was a little run down because when you turned on the oven, the cockroaches all came out. Oh, <laughs> but it that's was everywhere in San Francisco. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much, Zippy. Keep on rocking in the free world and do-do-loo-do. Do-do.
There's a wire in my brain. No more pain. There's a wire in my brain. No more pain. There is a wire inside my brain. Circuit in your head. Love the ending of The Wasted Lives. And again, you are still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show with... Phil. And... Colin. Of The Wasted Lives. Phil, I love the ending. Goodbye. I love that. I love that. Awesome. I love that. That was included on the Vancouver Complication album. What can you say about that album? <laughs> How many hours do we have? Um, that was like a really fun... Team effort. Yeah. It was... Uh, I think what happened was Akron, Ohio put out that compilation, you know, the one that scratch and sniff like tires, Jane Eyre and stuff. And so the idea was if Akron can do it, Vancouver can do it. And so Grant McDonough and Steve Macklem, who were like the prime movers, um, basically got all the bands together at the time, uh, went out to a place in Burnaby for the most part called uh, Sabre Sound, which was in the bottom of a house. And he was really, living in his parents' house. Very cool studio. Yeah, and it was great. Everyone got, I don't know, like three hours or four hours to knock off two songs. And then there was a lot of argument over the cover and a bunch of weird benefits with money going here and there. And then somehow it all came out. And then Joey picked it up years later, right? And reissued. Yeah. Yeah. On CD. There was a review of the actual record from... Um, it was called Vancouver A Go-Go. What was, what was the difference between... Uh, it was first called Vancouver A Go-Go? I think it was just a working title. Yeah. I think it was one of the, yeah. There was a review of the record by Tom Harrison, and he said you guys were too cute. This is coming from a guy who had a band called The Potatoes, as, uh, I, as I recall. But listening to that song, it sounds total punk rock. Mm-hmm. How come people thought... He also went on to say, like, this is the first song that makes the band, that makes the record fall short. How come... Th- Anybody could regard anything less than genius at, you know, the, the song Wirehead. It, you know, these things just happen. Each right? to their own. Yep. 
And if Tom at the time was feeling, you know, I don't know, pressured by uh, us having fun, I got no issue with that at all. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. And Tom, Tom, it must be said, was a great scene supporter oh, in general. Totally. But on Vancouver, a go-go review, page 16, snot rag number 18, it's the first cut, side one, that falls short. Oh. He said it was too cute. I Thank you for your impeccable research, Nardwar. <laughs> but I was just curious. I think he's talking did, about me personally. Did, did anybody rev- think you guys were too cute? I mean, besides Tom, yeah. Uh, well, they don't say that anymore. Let's put it that way. Uh, probably some did. <laughs> yeah, what, are, what are you going to do? Back in the day, and you got Jeff Wall to help with the cover of it. The seven inch, the wasted life seven inch. You were also at that photo shoot that he did, like um, the gust of wind photo shoot. What is your um, relationship with Jeff Wall? Because that's pretty. He's a cool artist to do these amazing photos in the eighties. What do you remember about that time? Um, oh yeah, I helped out on some of the the big scale shoots, and gust of wind was one of them. I think that was early nineties. Yeah. How did he get into music? Like, I read somewhere that he introduced you to Devo. That is true, actually. I'd totally forgotten that. Um, that? I mean, you don't know, like 1970, uh, my theory is this, is that like in the 70s, everyone wanted to be musicians. In the 80s, everyone wanted to be artists. 90s, writers, now, who knows? But everyone was into music, and it mm-hmm. was just, uh, I know Jeff was going to New York a lot, so he would be bringing back stuff like the Devo singles. Yeah, and, and he was hanging out with uh, Glenn Frank and those yeah, guys. and Dan Graham and, and saw he, what would become Sonic Youth. He actually named uh, Branca's and, and Barbara S.'s band Theoretical Girls. That's from him. And they were part of the new, or just before the whole No New York wave happened. Um, and super interesting. And then Branca went on to do his multi-guitar orchestras, and I was part of that in 83. Was that with Lee Ronaldo? Uh, no. Because it was Thurston Moore and Lee Ronaldo. In, in the previous configuration, they were part of that. And then they split off the startup Sonic Youth. And I was out in New York hanging out with Glenn, and he asked me if I wanted to be part of the 83 tour, so I just stayed there and then did the tour. Uh, did you come to Vancouver? Like, I think you played we, Vancouver, yeah, right? Yeah, we played the... Uh, did Le- you see Colin in Vancouver, Phil, playing with at Glenn Branca? I didn't because I don't think I was in Vancouver then because uh, otherwise I would have. Yeah, right. That was at the Legion on commercial. What do you remember about that gig? Oh, did any punks come out to see you? It was packed. It was totally packed. And, you know, I was telling people it's going to be loud. And we arrived, and yes, it was very loud. And then there was a massive party up on uh, Main Street that night, and it was just jammed with people. And we had to hit the road first thing in the morning. So we just stayed up and then went to Seattle, played there, and kept on going down the coast. The one thing about that tour that was really (laughs) quite weird, uh, there were nine of us, and all we were carrying was guitars and drumsticks. And we left New York... Um, and we had to fly to Atlanta because we were on Republic Airways, which no longer exists. But we did 17 cities in 20, 21 days. And every day we had to fly from wherever we were to Atlanta and then change because that was their hub. And Glenn got this amazing group deal, but it meant we had to go through Atlanta every day. So if you're in L.A., you have to go to Atlanta in order to get to Texas. 
you know, and it was nice it, tour schedule. Yeah. <laughs> How would you describe Wasted Lies versus Glenn Branca? Um, if somebody went to see you playing with Glenn Branca, or you playing with the Wasted Lives? Uh, well, Glenn Branca, I mean, you know, you can't take your eyes off the guy when he's conducting. Uh, it's He's very, I don't know, committed to, to hearing what he needs to hear, and he lets you know that he needs more or less, and it's quite inspiring. Whereas with Wasted Lives, it's more of a, you know, conventional rock undertaking, um, a lot of fun, but um, Branca is more about uh, sound as architecture, and um, the frequency array that happens within a given space at high volume. And I had an amazing experience. It really did change me um, in terms of my facility about hearing things. Uh, in Portland, we were, I'll, I'll make this short, but it was kind of a round uh, ex-Baptist revival hall. And then put the, um, modified the stage so it was a third of the way into the room. And on the top was this little cupola um, with a bunch of windows. And I'm out there, and I'm playing away, and I closed my eyes, and I opened my eyes, and I was on my knees, and Glenn's in front of me, and he's, like, pounding the floor because he's on his knees. But what had happened was the sound had come around the room and hit my ears just a microsecond out of phase, and I saw the room with my eyes closed. So it was kind of like acoustic holography. And then I realized why Glenn was so adamant about being in, in position to conduct because he's the only guy who would hear that effect. And it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, you're totally immersed in this huge kind of sonic mass. So after that, I just started getting right in there and elbowing him out of the way. Like, I want some, you know. And uh, it really changed what it means to hear and how you hear and, and the way that the, the eardrum works. It it's, was a pretty phenomenal experience. Phil, what did Colin look like in Wasted Lives? Uh, sort of like he does now, yeah. And what did Colin look like when he was playing in the pointed sticks? Because I noticed Colin's wearing a Wembley security T-shirt. Where did he get that? I got it in England, and uh, I hung on to it for years. I don't know where it is now. Uh, but it was very valuable and um, very unique. I'd never seen another one. Speaking of the pointed sticks, here is a recording of you playing with the pointed sticks from the Quadra Club in Vancouver, B.C. I think playing. Let's see if we hear it on cassette right. We have the technology. We have the technology and cassette. There you go. Oh, no, that is the unreleased. What can you say about the pointed sticks, Phil, as I cue this up? Oh, oh, this is very rough, but we can hear. Can you hear it, Colin? Barely. There you go. Is that Nick singing? I don't think so. Yes, yeah. all the bad girls. And listen, there's a bit of Colin, I think. That's for the guy that was wondering what punk rock was. Is Nick? Wow. There. Oh, oh. I, I know what's coming up. This is one of my favorite songs. No way, that's pop music. We only play punk. 
this call in in 1978 on a Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Playing <laughs> <laughs> with points. This is a song that Bill wrote after having a bad experience with an educational institute. A bad experience. How many people here graduated from the high school? Come on. You don't supposed to know the words to this song. Everyone in the back having fun? How's it going back there, everyone? Hey, are you sitting down or you have agitations for lunch? That was calling crack for the night. Yeah, you got to harass the crowd. Okay, so that was a very rough. That was a very rough recording. Sorry about the quality there. What is going on there, Colin? Well, it's a formative gig for the band. Uh, I think it's. What is the joke that you told? Oh, who knows? I mean, you had to be there, you know. I, I can't. Enlighten you. I think I was just harassing the crowd. That was the, the pointed sticks yeah. and the subhumans with the Avengers. That was the, that was no, the Avengers were on that bill with the. I, sticks? I think at the Quadra Club. Could be. Yeah. Well, I trust and your you research. And you were an early version of the yeah, pointed sticks. Yeah, super and that early. Was you yeah, that's, do, that's, doing that's, the intro. I remember that show. Yeah, yeah, there was Ernie Dick in the pointed sticks, and then Ernie took a flyer. I think he. I don't even know if he performed. Uh, and I was in the band, and then that was about three three gigs, maybe, and then I moved on from there, and and the Point of Sticks were the Point of Sticks. Um, but we're all, the thing about all of these people is we all met, you know, at a very kind of interesting time, and to this day, we're all super tight. It's like very much a family kind of relationship. Your dish rags, the pulling of sticks, the wasted lives people, the U-jerks people, everybody intermingled all the time, and that's that's set up like lifelong friendships that are extinct to this day. I mean, and that clip we played there, <laughs> you were about to play your favorite song, I Quit School, right? No, it was fiction romance, I thought. Yeah, I heard, I heard the little fiction Yeah, romance there were written. fiction romances in there. But then it was going into I yeah, and there was yeah. all the bad girls as well. Do you remember any of the early pointed stick songs that weren't recorded? Uh, that's a bit of a stretch. Um. <laughs> and you are again Colin of the Wasted Lives, <laughs> and also you have a brand new release, The Wasted Lives. So beautiful. That cover just blows me away. And are we going to connect with Mary right now? Yes, I'll, Mer- I'll see if I can get to her. Just let's go off airing. I'll I'll do that. Well, actually, I was going to ask you, Phil, about The Clash. The Clash didn't forget you, did they? Could you explain that? You backed up The Clash, didn't you? Oh, yeah, you? backed up The Clash uh, the Did, co- at the Coliseum. You, no, could you explain? Speaking of, you know, Colin was mentioning this group of people that stuck together, but The Clash remembered you all these years later, didn't they? I don't know that part. Or dish, they, they, the dish rags, well, maybe. Yeah, or the di- how, I think the dish rags. Yeah. But all so. these years, how did that go about? Um, I'm still not totally clear on the memory thing, but, uh, I mean, The Clash, the first time they came, uh, they, we all played soccer together. Yeah. I mean, it, it was sort of goes back to your Jeff Wall question. It, it just was very small and very tight, and as Colin said, lifelong friendships. And I will say at Brad's Kent Celebration of Life, which was last year, mm-hmm. it was kind of amazing. I think um, someone said, you know, it's just like the affection that has – and I mean, it's not like there weren't little battles and little rivalries like every scene has, but compared to almost every other scene I've known or been in, this one really does have a kind of um, tightness and resonance to it. That, mm-hmm. And that, so the Clash remembered 
the dish rags. Clash definitely remembered the dish rags. And you yes. got the gig opening for the Cut the Crop era. Yes, it was the Cut Clash. the Crop Clash. What yes. do you remember about that gig? That is pretty cool. Uh, um, well, yeah, it, I'm sure there'll be some top 40 bands <clears throat> that would love to open for the Clash uh, or even some punk bands. I remember they were really great to us. Uh, the sound on the stage was like being a recording studio. I remember Chris Taylor, who was in the Paolas at the time, who had just gone through a bad ZZ Top opening experience, said, whatever you do, don't play any of your weak songs. And we we're like, oh, no, 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 these are good. And about halfway through the set... The weak songs came in. And when 10,000 people decide that they don't like you, it is a physical emotion. <laughs> but we kind of managed to battle back. And I remember coming off the stage and uh, the class manager said, well, congratulations. You're only the second band on the tour that's finished the show. So, <laughs> and that was Corsage? That was Corsage. And yeah. we are speaking to The Wasted Lives, live on CITR Radio. And right now, we're going to cut to another release on the Nardwar Human Survey Radio Show, Divorce. What can you say about the song Divorce we're going to play right now? It rocks. Anything to add, Phil? <laughs> it rocks. And thank you, Jason Flower, for bringing this back yeah, to life. Jason. How rare is the original record? Like the original Waste of Lives, Big Black Puppets records? I've never seen it in oh, Vancouver. I, would, I, I think I, I would have brought you one. But I think it's one of the, like a lot of Vancouver <coughs> punk singles. It seems to sell for, you know, fairly big eBay money. So I guess it's fairly rare. I don't know. And here we go for free. Divorce by <laughs> The Wasted Lies. Throw it in their faces 
you're listening to CITR Radio, Denardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we have a caller on right now. Hello, caller. Are you there? Am I here? I think I'm here. Who are you, caller? Oh, no. Don't ask me that question. I've got lots of names. I just not, uh, who do you want me to be? I'm Mary Jo Kopechny, Mary Cherry. Uh, Mary Celeste. And uh, I guess my real name is Mary Armstrong. Of the Wasted Lives today. You bet. What goes around comes around. And we also have Mary Jo in the studio today. We also have Colin. That would be me. And Phil. Hey, Mary. Wow, Phil. Hi, babe. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm going to see you next week in town. Uh, you bet. I'll, I'll be there. Awesome. Yeah, what is happening next week, Phil? <clears throat> oh, yes. Uh, the release the release party. Open to all, all ages. Friday, May 4th, 8 to 2 at What's Up Hot Dog, 2481 East Hastings. Yeah, Hastings Street East. Well, that sounds so cool. Vancouver, BC. Uh, DJ, Wasted Lives Music, hosted by DJ Jeffrey McCloy, Wasted yes. Lives, and Supreme Echo. Friday, May 4th, What's Up Hot Dog? I think it's around Nanaimo and Hastings. And apparently, amazing hot dogs. Uh, apparently. What's Up Hot Dog? Mary, who were the Wasted Lives? Who were the Wasted Lives? The Wasted Lives. Well, I remember Chris Arnett's girlfriend. She was at one of our shows, and she was pretty out of She was going, the Wasted Lives. The Wasted Lives. What could be more perfect than the Wasted Lives? And... Then there was a cigarette with Wasted Lives written down the side of it, burning. That particular one. It was pretty cool, actually. Uh, the Wasted Lives were myself, um, Colin Griffith, Phil Smith, and Brad Kent to begin with. And I think Taylor Little was on drums there. That's right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a little bit of a blur. And then um, we migrated to Andy. Yeah. That's right. I remember Andy more than Taylor. I don't know why Taylor wasn't there for very long, but whatever. Because <laughs> we found I, Andy. Because <laughs> we found Andy, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that was the band that Brad was in, Wasted Lives, before he went to off, and we all wished him well to join the Avengers. How did you end up in the Wasted Lives, Mary? Um, I guess it's all who you know, hey? <laughs> Ba-boom, yeah. Like, how did you join the band? Was that your first performance? Had you done an earlier performance at the Planetarium before? Like, had you been in a band before The Wasted Lives? Um, I'm not sure if Legend Pigs were before Wasted Lives or after, but I remember playing with them with uh, with Tony Baloney, Tony Anthony, and um, but, but I really can't remember if it was before or after Wasted Lives. What I can't figure out is... Uh, I don't remember making a record. Phil, please, please <laughs> help Mary out here. The, the proof is in the pudding. You were there. <laughs> that big bass sound is sounding great. Where on. where was all this recorded? We just played the song Divorce. Do you remember the song Divorce at all, Mary? Uh, <laughs> Of course, I remember it. Hey, maybe one day we'll get to go to Japan and play all these things again, hey? 
Awesome. And that, uh, you were alluding, actually, I think, to the dish rags and pointed sticks who got to go to Japan, right? Yeah. You know, I, I kind of feel cheated here, so maybe it'll happen. What goes around comes around, right? Phil, where was divorce recorded? You know, to help Mary remember. Divorce, the bed tracks were recorded at a place called Ocean Sound in North Vancouver. It was like in a garage back of the house of Lower Lonsdale. And then the overdubs were done when Ocean moved uh, over into Kits. But Wirehead was done entirely at that little house in North Van, too. And there also was the big black puppets. What do you remember, Mary? The big black puppets versus the wasted lives. Um, Very little. I think I was on my way to the modern epicenter. And uh, I, w- I was a little, uh, yeah, I kind of got grabbed by the arm and yanked over that way, so... It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's all a blur. I mean, I was a homeless child, right? I, I, I went to parties, slept on floors, um, just kind of bounced around with whoever took me in whatever circumstance crossed my path. Um, so a lot of it is, um, yeah, just the luck of the draw. Well, people can see some Wasted Lives footage, courtesy Colin, on YouTube. If you type in Wasted Lives, you can actually see the Wasted Lives performing at O'Hara's. That's right. Oh, yeah. I remember the O'Hara's show. That was hilarious. There was hardly anybody out in the audience, and who were out there wanted to kill us. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, you know, it was pretty gutsy, that's for sure. What shirt were you wearing at O'Hara's? Because when I look on YouTube, again, this is the Nerdwar, the human serviette radio show, and I'm speaking to Mary from The Waste of Lives. If we type in Waste of Lives into YouTube, we see you guys playing at O'Hara's, but you were wearing an, a shirt that said normal, that said normal. Do you remember the shirt you were wearing when you played O'Hara's? No, somebody probably lent it to me. What do you remember about that gig dressing up wise? Like, how, how, what did the Wasted Lives look like? Well, I got all my clothes from the mattress stuffers on, um, on Clark and Venables. So I, I just pulled out of there whatever I got. We got some great costumes out of there, but, but really we didn't have money for clothes or anything else, really. So what, whatever came out of your mattress, I was wearing. What was O'Hara's like? It was like the dock. Where is O'Hara's? It was like known as the dock. Can you describe O'Hara's? Why did people want to kill you? Um, I, I think it was just uh, there There was a, a large accumulation of uh, grief balls in there from Surrey. <laughs> and uh, they probably didn't like us, you know? We were we were a new band and, and out there and, and uh, yeah, they didn't like Colin, how did you deal with hostile audiences? You t- sometimes they threw stuff at you, but you would throw it back. You, no, you'd uh, proceed to the front of the stage, isolate that person, and just put your boot in there because um, they're throwing beer cans, and you know you're getting sprayed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they're all a bunch of well, the front line was a bunch of greasers, and they were uh, not very happy. Because they were just there to see a bunch of punks. And then as soon as they figured out that the punks were serious, they started to throw stuff. And I remember we were the first band out. Uh, and it got pretty antagonistic right off the top. I mean, Phil had to march over there and being some guy with the bottom of a mic stand. 
You know, it was like harsh. But Phil, you were okay because you're a bigger guy. You were a bigger guy, right? We're all we're uh, all like four <laughs> feet off the floor. There yeah. were a lot. I mean, when the cut line for the gig is "Hit someone you love," yeah, St. Yeah, Valentine's yeah. Day Massacre, it kind of sets forces in motion. <laughs> is that what you remember, Mary? But you're. For no Valentine's Day, that's for sure. I didn't get no flowers. <laughs> Mary, where did you get that pink dress you wore dancing with the young Canadians? I got that in a dumpster um, from Clark and Venables at, at the uh, mattress stuffers. We that... used to cut the, um, cut the pieces of wire off and just pull clothes out, and I got that out of a dumpster. Who was the other dancer? Was that Christine? Uh, there were, there were a few, um, there was, um, oh, what? Because people can check out, don't check this out. The song that Barbara was written about was, was dancing with me. Um. Because she had a good dress on too. You both had amazing dresses. Again, people can see your dress if they type in Young Canadians Hawaii and they can see you dancing. What do you remember about dancing on Soundproof to Young Canadians? (laughs) I remember puking behind behind somebody's guitar amp. We had way too much to drink, and we were just shaking it up really good there. And I had to run behind one of the amps to go up. I'm telling you, nobody kissed me that night. And it lives on. That clip lives on. It's a Vancouver classic. Oh, man, I reeked. <laughs> what do you remember, Mary Jo, about the clash seeing you guys at the windmill? Did they see the modernettes at the windmill? I don't know. Yes, uh, I don't know about the modernettes, but they saw uh, Rune Norton. And I got to sing Cherry Bomb that night with them. And I was antagonizing the audience again, and I ended up leaping off of the stage into the audience, like just kind of backwards. And they parted like the Red Sea. <laughs> so I went down onto the uh, the steel floor and kind of damaged my shoulder. But, you know, the show must go on. So I hauled my ass back up there and finished the song. And then I'm sitting with the Clash and the audience later on. And they're just like ripping me so hard, just like laughing their guts out just because they knew what was going on. That the audience just decided to teach me a lesson. <laughs> Didn't the Modernettes Mary play with Johnny Thunders? Yeah, we did at uh, at Gary Taylor's Rock Room. It was so cool. That was that was one of the best music nights of my life. That night, I mean, having Johnny Thunders in the next room to you, having a having a lineup of guys outside my door waiting to rub my feet and bring me drinks and tell me stories. It, it was absolutely amazing. The first thing Thunders said when he came in, and he came in with Kathy Clayton, and he comes in and he goes, "Who's holding?" That was the night that he tried to steal Bucks Jr. Yeah, but he got caught, so. What happened there? Oh, well, we were hanging out during the day, and and it was getting late, and Bucks guitar, he had put it away in his case, and their roadie, actually, who was their bass player, spotted where the guitar was, and I was watching him move it. He'd go over, he'd pick up the guitar, and he was moving it closer and closer to the back door, right? Because he was going to take off with it. And I elbowed Buck, and I went, uh, look, <laughs> look what's happening over there. And sure enough, this guy, his bass player, Johnny Thunder's bass player, a great big brood of a guy, 
was trying to make off with, with uh, Bucks Jr. It was quite amazing. And he actually made it to the gig because photographer Bev Davies told me he made it over the border with his, like, library card. Like, Johnny Thunders only had a library card. He had no ID. Wow, that's so sweet. I love Thunders. What do you think about the later era modernettes? Like with Randy Carpenter, the very later era modernettes. Well, um, I always miss Jughead terribly. What what happened, which I'm not going to talk about because... I'm the only sober one that was there that night, and I remember what happened, but everybody's story is different. But the, the older version of the Modernettes, when we got Ian Noble on drums and, and Randy Carpenter on guitar, it was great. It, it was a great version. It wasn't the same as the original version, but it, it was really cool. You know, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Because, again, on YouTube, there's a great clip of you doing I Can Only Give You Everything on the Vancouver show. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I also want to mention the awesome song Static with Mary's amazing vocals because oh. that song absolutely kills. I don't know if Mary remembers, but I was the sound man for a brief Modernettes tour down south. I think we went to Seattle and Portland, the Modernettes Mark II. I loved that band. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I remember going to Portland. We played at a place that had tons of costumes, so we, got all, we, we all got to dress up. Portland was a cool place. I thought. Mary, and again, we're speaking to Mary from the Wasted Lives and Colin from the Wasted Lives and Phil from the Wasted Lives. How come more Vancouver bands, like, for instance, Modernettes, didn't do LPs? Was it basically money? Was everybody pretty much broke? Well, it was money and technology. I mean, we didn't have a lot of technology. We didn't even have cell phones. So, you know, when you moved and your phone number got changed, you lost everybody for a while until you saw them at the next gig. We, we just didn't have the technology. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's money. All money. is always money. Money and also, like, the whole punk thing was a, a lot about the single. So whether mm-hmm. it was a compilation album, so that's a bunch of singles put together, or the single, it was the single. So albums were, you know, like, for concept prog rock bands. Because when I listen to Wirehead... Again, it is so amazing, like so proto-hardcore. And I listen to the Modernettes, your six-song EP. It's like every song is killer. Were there any record execs anywhere sniffing you out? Like you did shows with the Modernettes, you were saying, in Portland or San Fran. You went up and down the coast. Was there anybody that offered you the moon? No, it was always, don't blink or you'll miss them, the Modernettes, you know. (laughs) We had a great time touring, and I used to ball my head off all the way home back to Canada. I wanted to stay down there. I just loved the state, touring in the state. It was great. And we got to tour with the Subhumans and, and, and uh, Dimwit, you know, and, and Jerry Useless. And oh, it, it was, I'm so fortunate. I've had a great, great life. Um, I can die happy. I could actually die happy. But let's go to Japan first. Thank you, Jason. Uh, maybe you could address it to Jason Flower, because yeah. I think you could set it up from Supreme Echo Records. But I remember you, Mary, coming into CITR Radio with your band Damage Say Damage, and you were, I think, all wearing leather pants. Do you remember that? Yeah, I don't remember Damage Say Damage. I've actually got a poster on my wall, Survival in the Homeland. I still I still write songs with Mike Racevic, the singer from that band. I don't know where Merch is, uh, the other guitar player. Uh, Care Bellavo just bought my um, 
my drum kit, my replica from the song Remains the Same, my Best Delight kit. So he's getting back in playing drums, too. That was a great band. I loved that band. What, yeah. can, what can you say about Damage Shay Damage? Did that happen after the mod- What was the lineage of that band? Well, that band was started after Buck decided that he was going to play with Bill Shirt and, um, and, and start that active dog thing up again. So, um, yeah, then I started playing in Damage They Damage, and, um, yeah, that Damage They Damage, though, I mean, it had brilliant moments. It really did. But, you know, drugs destroyed that band. And I have never really been into hard drugs, and uh, a lot of everybody else was, you know? It's just the way it is, and it was too bad. Aside from the Wasted Lives, you also have the band Monster Baby. What can I say about Monster Baby? You did, like, motor association gigs. Yeah, Monster Baby. Um, with, uh, I'm not going to start up the band under that name. I'm starting another band right now. But Monster Baby was um, Brad Kent and myself and um, various other people. I think we went through, like, 12 drummers. They couldn't keep up. But... That was that was a result of writing songs with Brad Kent for seven years. I've got a suitcase full of songs right now, and um, yeah, it was. I I feel very honored and privileged to have uh, done that with Brad before he uh, left us. It was a good band. And next week you're going to be in Vancouver, right, Mary? Well, I'm in Vancouver lots. I'm just living up the coast now, and um, I'm actually auditioning next week i'm going to be auditioning people for my next project so uh yeah fun times are about to happen but you were saying phil there's going to be a release party for the wasted lives yep. next, next next week friday and then i think we're doing some record stores colin is that right uh, on yeah saturday? on saturday we're doing neptune uh madhouse and zulu so mary you will be in the house next friday at what's up dog for the record release party oh yeah i'll be at all of the um promotional uh, that stuff that we're doing. I'll be everywhere. Yeah. The Wasted Lives. Anything you want to add to the people out there, Mary, about the Wasted Lives? We're going to cut into the song right now. What what song are we going to cut into right now? We're going to cut into Allegiance. Do you remember the song Allegiance at all? Do you remember that? Do you remember that song, Mary? Allegiance? Of course. Let's hear it. Bill was great. He was always this philosophical guy out there who just read poetry over our manic playing. It was it was it was a cool band. Let's hear it. Well, thank you very much, Mary. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do loot do. What? 
I'm here. still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And who do we all, who do we have on the line right now? Hello, Nardwar. It's Andy Graffiti. Who, who are you, Andy Graffiti? <laughs> who am I indeed? Well, I'm the drummer for Wasted Lives. And we just uh, heard I some guess. Wasted Lives right now. We heard the song Allegiance, right? Yep. What do you remember about Allegiance, and who else is in the Wasted Lives, Andy? Well, we've heard from everybody who was in the version that I know. We Colin and Phil, who are there. Mary, who I didn't, uh, I'll have to say hello to after a very long time uh, next week at our record release party. Um, and uh, I believe Allegiance was, I can't remember whether we recorded it at Ocean Sound or at uh, Sabre. I think it was Ocean Sound, but it wasn't released then. Uh, and uh, the ocean sound feeling. Everybody's been doing a great job of remembering everything for me, pretty much. Well, it was <laughs> Saber, actually. <laughs> it was Saber? Yeah, yeah, that was with Chris Cutris and okay, yeah. MJ. That's true, though. This yeah. is the first time. Hey, Andy, it's Phil. Um, Hi, Phil. Yeah, um, I think this is the one unreleased track on the EP, It's Allegiance, never come out before. Uh, when was yeah. the last time you guys were all together? Uh, 1979, because I was thinking about that. And I, I was thinking, Andy, I think we met backstage like a dishrag show or something at Richard's about a decade ago. But for sure, yeah. the last time Colin, Andy, Mary and I were in the same room together would have been the last show in 79. I think you're right. Where was that and how did that go? How was the last show, Andy? What do you remember about the last show? I'm not sure which one was the last show. I believe that would be the sure. Avengers. Um, yeah, I was going to say that we were talking. You were talking about the Avengers earlier on, and we did do. Uh, I think we did two nights with them up on Fourth, and uh, that would probably that would have been it. Yeah. And how did you, Andy, get in the Wasted Lives? It was from consigning some singles. Um, the thread was um, running into uh, Paul Wilson Brown at Devo at the Commodore. And who was he? Who was he? He was, I believe he was the keyboard player for Maurice and the Clichés, among other things. But he was, you know, he was kind of a, a wheeler and dealer on the scene a little bit. And uh, he gave me a consignment of Subhumans singles, the O Canada 
single to uh, take to um, Victoria. Did you keep one for thing. yourself? Did you keep? I did. I did not. It was the yeah. <laughs> I think that was their first release, but uh, no, I uh, I uh, took the stuff to. Uh, uh, Victoria got the paperwork done, and um, I came back to uh, track him down and give him the, re- you know, the um, invoices or whatever. And ran into Colin at the windmill, the good old windmill, which was the, uh, I guess, had a brief uh, life as the club before the Buddha. That was really the place that punk was happening early on in a club. Um, I had met Colin before at uh, Ocean Sound. I was a one of the founders of Ocean Sound helped build the actual studio. And uh, I ran into him when he was recording with AV there. And, you know, we said hi, kind of thing. But uh, I ran into Colin again at the windmill, and he said, hey, I have a band. Uh, would you like to play with it? And at that time, I was actually um, sort of in the process of moving back to Vancouver from Victoria. I was transitioning back. So I said, sure. <laughs> And here we and, are. And here we are. And, you know, it's been a long wait, but, uh, you know, I always I always enjoy that, uh, you know, underrated band thing that people talk about because, honestly, I think that uh, most of the bands in Vancouver were underrated with the exception of DOA, and that was persistence and touring. You know, um, they've stuck in there. I'm not saying they were overrated, but uh, they hung in there. There were a lot of really good bands. I think the Subhumans were a remarkably good band, too. You know, didn't break out, and the sticks kind of the sticks made a mark, and, and you know they're, they're back, they're around, they're still actually playing and writing, which is great. So uh, it was a very interesting um, musical moment because I think what was happening in Vancouver was really, really uh, seminal in terms of what happened with punk later. You know, you mentioned you said you used the term proto hardcore, I believe, a little while ago. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, now, actually, I was curious about this. What do you think about this? And Phil, f- feel free to chime in. Number one, number one for punk in the world. Number one for punk in the world. A tie between London and New York. Number two, Los Angeles. Number three, Vancouver. What do you think for cities? I kind of think number two for Vancouver. Yeah, I'm with Andy yeah. on that. You got it's got to be, and, and I'll tell you why. I think there's a lot of great. Do you LA agree with the tie between New York and London? No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do, because I, I don't really think of New York as punk. I think London was punk. New York was something else. Well, it was great. So you would say London number one, Vancouver number two, L.A. number three. I put San sure, Francisco but, ahead of L.A. myself. Mm, mm, yeah. I, I would, and, and I think that the real thing, I and mean, I don't know how Andy feels about this, is, is the reason I think the Vancouver Punk was, I don't know if better, but kind of more memorable than L.A. is, the first of all, the personalities, and second, the songs. And I think the songs, yeah. and I think in the, the Suzanne Tabata movie, Bloody But Unbowed, which is a great film, but what really stands out in that film is how great the songs are. So different, but all kind of with a common thread. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, for sure, Vancouver had something, and, you know, um, you guys were talking about it almost from a social point of view, you know, that there was uh, there was a lot of um, mingling and... Uh, that was one of the things that struck me and that I really, really liked about Vancouver is that there was 
a minimum of um, division in terms of style and in terms of, uh, you know, movements and in terms of, you know, oh, you guys are, you know, the punks came to the art rock shows. The art rockers loved the punk stuff. Uh, You know, the no wave thing was, uh, you know, on the bill with hardcore, you know, pre-proto-hardcore and so on and so forth. And uh, artists, the musicians, the the characters uh, were really quite freely... uh, mingling amongst each other and that made it a really great scene it made it a very productive great scene because you know there people like art bergman and, and buck cherry are really great pop writers you know i mean and, and that that has stood the test of time and but it it was generated by that scene it was nourished by that scene Andy of the Wasted Lives, and we're speaking to Andy of the Wasted Lives. We have also Colin and Phil of the Wasted Lives, and we heard from Mary earlier, and we're going to hopefully hear from Jason Flower from Supreme Echo, who Colin has reissued the Wasted Lives. Indeed. Jason will give us a call and uh, regale us with stories of... um, Excess in production, yes. I was going to mention, Andy, how did you meet Colin? Or should I say, I did ask that, but what were some of your early bands? Like, who were Elmo Wiggett and the Flying Mountain? Um, Flying Mountain was a West Coast folk band. It was kind of in that uh, 70s, you know, the mingling of uh, hippies and draft dodgers and whatnot on on the coast. Um, I played percussion with them. I had been playing a little bit with Dan Rubin, who was one of the founders of that band, and Rick Van Krugel is a mandolin player who played with all kinds of people over the decades and lives in Victoria now. Um, but uh, Elmo Wiggett was a jazz band in Victoria here. I originally came over to play with a madman pianist named Richard Whitehouse, who had a I was going to UVic here and um, had a penchant for opening up the what they called the real book, which was all the jazz standards at any page and then playing that at twice the um, standard tempo. So, uh, Elmo Wiggett was more of a 70s kind of groovy, sort of a fusion band, a sort of a bit of a smooth jazz kind of outfit with a vocalist, but... Um, uh, Colin and I were talking about this a little while ago uh, about what it says in the book about how I had to learn to play fast and, and uh, loud when I started playing with Wasted Lives and in fact I was playing fast already that was uh, we were doing a lot of really kind of up Latin fusion jazz kind of stuff here How did you get into punk? Like for instance why didn't you continue on with folk rock? Like what made you get into punk? How did you learn about punk? Um well, the uh, you know also Devo got mentioned earlier, and when I was in uh, I was in Toronto for a, uh, a holiday, and there was a big uh, general idea event. They had a party on top of the CN Tower, probably the only one that's ever been held there, and they were playing the the film, the Bougie Boy stuff, that was the whole uh, early Devo. Uh, again, not exactly punk, but I find that that was seminal for a lot of people who, you know might have already liked the New York Dolls, might have liked the Ramones. Um, I know a lot of the a lot of the guys in the Vancouver scene were basically sort of early metal fans, you know, the really hard-rocking stuff. But the Devo stuff knocked my socks off. I mean, you know, it was uh, so unique. Um, 
fantastic energy and so on. So, like I said, I went and saw them. I came back to Vancouver. When they came to town, I went and saw them. They were also one of the loudest bands I've ever heard. Um, that hooked me up with Paul, with the subs, with the stuff that was going on. Uh, and um, I, be- I started uh, getting really interested, not just in the music, but I was really interested in the community. Um, both musical and otherwise. I remember talking to someone a little while ago about going backstage, I think it was at O'Hara's, and it was like there was a little daycare center. <laughs> you know, oh, rough, tough punks, they're assholes, they're, they scar themselves, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, but they're having kids, and, you know, people are taking care of each other's children back there, and it's all, you know, um, people working it out on stage, and quite a bit of aggression, and, you know, again, a lot of that directed from those greaser assholes it was kind of like the old days it used to be that if you had long hair the bunch of short-haired guys would come along and harass you and then by the time we were at o'hara's it was the other way around a bunch of long hairs if you had short hair and you were a punk you know what do you remember so, andy oh sorry go ahead no that's fine i'm just saying you know the the social thing coming around and and i think the vancouver version of it i, I can't speak to other i'm sure it was very sort of anarcho-syndicalist communal in in london um, that there was an amazing uh, communal spirit in, in Vancouver with the punk scene that didn't exist in any other, you know, sort of uh, musical community at that time. So that was something that I was very interested in. And Andy of The Wasted Lives, and again we're speaking to Colin and Phil of The Wasted Lives, I am looking at the booklet put out by Jason Flower from Victoria, the reissue of your record, and you have a backdrop. There is an actual backdrop behind the drum. What do you remember about the backdrop? And Phil, what do you remember about the backdrop? I just remember it was there, and it became uh, very famous for some reason. Uh, who, Where it came from, who designed it, I have no idea. It, well, it's a red ensign, right? It's it's not the Canadian flag. It's the red ensign, the previous flag, upside uh, down. Upside down, yeah. And then wasted lives are uh, cut letters that are cut out and sewn on. I don't know who the seamstress was. Do you have any maybe idea? Nancy, maybe Nancy. Smith. Could have been Nancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe I'll I'll email her and ask. She's not on Facebook. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't. I have no idea about that backdrop. Uh, oh, how about the I gig? Have, how about the gig in Victoria? Were you in? Ha. I was. I was insanely ill. I had, you know, something, some kind of like bronchial pneumonia, and did the gig anyway, and kicked ass. I've got to say, you know, apparently. Oh yeah, no memory, <laughs> I but I, I remember. remember it except just burning through that gig, and, and then just about dropping dead. The picture that Colin was referring to actually is from one of my gigs at the Buddha with DOA. Ah, okay. And it was the same thing. O'Hara, same thing. I got off the stage at O'Hara's and slumped in a corner backstage and wished there was an oxygen tank around somewhere because uh, even though it always looks like I'm not really busting a sweat when I'm playing, that was, you know, the hardest, loudest, smackingest, fastest stuff I ever did. So, you know, (laughs) it was brutal. uh, Andy, you also produced the U-Jerk? Yes, yeah. What do you remember about that? Like the U jerk producing the amazing U jerk. It was fantastic. I mean, it was really, it was very interesting to hear you playing the live stuff, uh, the live Commodore show, which I was at. Uh, uh, 
remember really digging Gang of Four, too, but um, it's very interesting because with that band, because of their obsessive rehearsal, which Colin mentioned, they had they played it uh, just pretty much like that. So if you've got a decent recording live, it's a decent recording. Um, it was, you know, the thing about going in, we actually got to go into Little Mountain to do that record, which mm-hmm. was a great, great experience. This is the only time I've been involved in production there. And it was, you know, just trying to make everything sound really good and really clear. But uh, somewhere around here, I have a, I'm pretty sure I still have a cassette tape of the uh, demos that we did, which we did at the Western Front at their facilities of the stuff that went on that record. And, you know, it doesn't sound as good sonically, but, you know, great performances, it's great stuff, you know. Um, it was a very <laughs> very reliable band. I always really liked seeing them live because they played the shit, and Frank was such a maniac, such a great, great front man. And you will uh, be here next weekend, right? You betcha. I'll be there. Phil, one more time. What's going to happen next weekend? Uh, the Wasted Lives. Friday, May 7th. What's up, hot dog? May 4th. May 4th, sorry. Yes, May 4th, 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. And then record stores on Saturday. Yep. Neptune, Madhouse, Zulu. Anything you want to add about the Wasted Lives at all, Andy? And thank you for listening from the beginning. I appreciate that. And I apologize as well. Thank you for listening. But anything you want to add about the Wasted Lives? Well, there's all kinds of stuff I could talk about in this. But, you know, like I said, everyone did a pretty good job of remembering. Um, well, uh, just really sh- what is something you remember sh- about the w- Wasted Lives? Well, there, there's a couple of things. I mean, it, that was my that was my introduction as a as a player to punk rock. You know, I mean, to that whole that kind of uh, uh, that kind of music. Um, and I went on and to play with and work with a whole lot of people after that. Not as many as Zippy, apparently, <laughs> but you know, who can keep up with the Zip? But um, you know, I was in DOA for about five minutes. I was actually in the Modernettes for about two minutes in the uh, Randy. Uh, era and um a lot AKA? of other people uh aka of course when yep. i was being a work player with them um produced the pops uh that single and um you know uh the second bud luxford album also a lot of stuff through ocean sound because i had that connection with ocean sound so it was uh, it was a great um somewhat short-lived kickoff into that whole thing and Colin and I particularly, you know, we've stayed really, really tight since uh, since we met. He said some very nice things about me at the beginning there. I like that. <laughs> well, and, it's all uh, true. <laughs> well, you know, it's true to you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take that. All right. Yeah. What about uh, the song Wirehead? Was it really on John Peel? What's reference to John Peel and yeah, Wirehead? Well, yeah, apparently it was. I mean... I Back in the 70s or in, in, in later on? 79, uh, yeah. December. And I was in England in... 1980, and you know, you, no internet then. You kind of, I, I heard a few times people said that it got played, but if you um, look for the playlist now, you'll see it listed there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, uh, I actually, a few years ago now, got some kind of, I was getting a couple of SOCAN checks that had tiny little amounts for that tune. I have no idea where it was surfacing that, <laughs> that generated royalties, but... Uh, <laughs> Have it's you had any run-ins thing. with people that remember Wasted Lives over the years? Like in the in the years since the Wasted Lives, uh, you um, know. Yes. Yep. 
uh, from time to time. Uh, I remember going to a birthday party in on Cordova Street about, I don't know, since eight years after Wasted Lives. Um, that uh, the, the birthday boy, who was considerably younger than me, um, was uh, spinning discs at his own party. And he put on, he played Wasted Lives, he played AKA. Uh, I can't remember what else, at least one other thing that I had been involved with. And, you know, he was playing all the stuff that he loved. So that was sticking around. And, and Jason and this whole reissue thing has been um, really an honor because <laughs> he's, He's passionate about it, and uh, he's uh, he really believes that it's valuable stuff. So if people believe it's valuable, that makes it so, you know. And also on the Vancouver Complication, Wirehead is, and I love that tune on the Vancouver Complication, especially, Phil, when you say goodbye. I love that. That was like my, you know, my favorite. Kind of, kind of cute. Although on the Complication, I did actually, when I made a tape for myself a long time ago, I cut out the band E!, <gasps> oh, was that bad? Yeah, that's, that's kind terrible. Of bad. That's oh, I'm really disappointed. Oh, that's awful. I I cut out the because it wasn't high energy paper root music. <laughs> you know, like what what, what was it? Oh, that was Randy Pandora and no, that Gary Bourgeois. Gary Bourgeois. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And I have somewhere in my archive a tape, real to real tape of Randy Pandora doing Ezra Pound. And we called it Pound on Pound. Uh, I have to liberate that. It's, I think I know where it is. And he also is an exotone? Is it, or, exotone generator, yeah. So he had a couple songs on yeah. the complication. I Want to Be a Girl. I don't know if that's on there, but that was a great song that he used to do. Yep. Um, and then Michael Wonderful as well. And who was the percussion? Tom um, Haidu. And he, oh, Haidu, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he ended up at Princeton. Yeah, I wound up, I did some uh, art percussion music with him. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. A couple of concerts, one at uh, Unit Pit and one at um, City Space. Yeah, he was a good good percussionist. Yes, yeah. And Gary, of course, is still around, and Michael just died uh, not long ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was sad. One of the early adopters. Mm Mm-hmm. But thank you very much for phoning in, Andy, from the Wasted Lives. I really appreciate it. And I want to add to the people out there about Wasted Lives. Uh, I don't know. I think that the people can, uh, the the people seem to be speaking up, which is kind of wonderful. Um, It's the same thing in the art world with art movements. There's a a cycle that comes around, and uh, there's a lot of people who are looking at what we were doing. I mean, that's that's 40 years ago, really, almost. And... uh, it's uh, it's wonderful that there are people who are picking that you know picking that up before it's gone. Well, we're all still, we're all still around to go to the release party. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, that's about it. Like I said, it was the beginning of a whole bunch of stuff for me that uh, I, I remember really well. And right now we are going to cut to the song "Undercover." Would Andy remember? Undercover, Phil. <laughs> I guess you'll have to ask Andy. <laughs> was it part of the Waste Lives or the Big Black Puppets? It was Waste Lives. And the one thing about Undercover, it's the one holdover from the Brad Kent. Yeah, era. that's right. Yeah. So this was like an intricate two-guitar song. And I have to say, Colin did a great job on the studio version of doing both guitars in Brad's mm-hmm. absence. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's probably the one I remember the least <laughs> of all of them. Well, it's the shortest one, that's for sure. 157, 
and here we go, Allegiance. Oh, sorry, Undercover, undercover. by The Wasted Lives. Thank you very much, Andy, and do-do-loot-do. To you, too. Nice talking to you, Nardware. I think this may be the first time ever. Uh, almost. <laughs> do-do-loot-do. Do-do. See you next Friday. And you are still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show with the Wasted Lives. Colin from the Wasted Lives is still here. What did we hear that I incorrectly labeled? Oh, that was undercover, uh, which is just quick and dirty. You know, you're you're into the song and then all of a sudden it's over, which is uh, one minute and 57 seconds long. But uh, it just motors right along. And right now we have a caller. Hello, caller. Are you there? Yes, I am. Who are you? My name is Jason Flower. Jason Flower, welcome to the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show. Thanks, Nardwar. Good to be here. What did we just hear, and what will we hear, and what are you putting out? You are from Supreme Echo. You have probably heard the songs over and over again. I, I have, but I still love them. You know, there's really something unique in them that stands out. They're inspiring to listen to, and... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that we're able to do this reissue. This, this of all the records I'm doing right now, Phil and I first got in touch 15 years ago. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a long time to work on a record. And I'll take the blame for that, but I think that now having technology and Internet and Messenger, being able to communicate with everybody like this, it's, it's been great. There's, there's really been a lot of attention to the detail in the record, too. Now, you said you've had this release planned for 15 years, but the record, the band is like 40 years old or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. how did you discover The Wasted Lives? 
So when I was younger, I guess in the early 90s, I, I sang in a group called Mexican Power Authority. And uh, all the other members of the band were nine years older than me. And amongst them was Kev Smith, who played in the Neos. And it, it, he was, you know, in this early Victoria hardcore group. And, uh, well, the Wasted Lives in general were popular here. I mean, even the pre-Gamo abortions band, the Sick Fucks, had actually played a cover. I think it was, um, yeah, it was Wirehead they played back in the day. So I'd heard it through him, and my band actually ended up, that band actually ended up covering um, Divorce at one point. Hmm. Didn't yeah. you, Phil, record with the Mexican Power Authority? I don't think so. No. Was there any Phil Smith Mexican, how, how did you meet I Phil? Ah, so. uh, geez, that's a good question. I It wouldn't surprise me if I had contacted Grant at Zulu and he connected us. It might have also been through Jade Blade from the Dayglows. Sorry, sorry, from the districts. <laughs> well, actually, you mentioned the Dayglows. Colin, did you have something to do with the Dayglows? Oh, yes, I, indeed. Because <laughs> I know Mick Jones did something with... The two of us, yeah. What is your connection to... Well, Nick and I, we would pal up on certain productions. and uh, The Dayglow abortions. Let's that, backtrack a that's bit. That's right. So he got contacted by somebody, and I'm not sure who from the abortions but anyway he said yeah yeah let's do this so he got in touch with me so we went over to victoria and we walked into this so-called studio but the you know the monitors were lying on the floor and people were still patching things in and the band was just you know well it was a day close so it was pretty haphazard jesus bonehead was on drums and he had one beat and he would repeat that over and over and over and over and over again. And the whole record has that one beat on it. Every song. Right? Did, did you know of the Wasted Lives connection to the Dayglows? Colin's connection to the Dayglows? Did I? Yeah. I certainly I certainly did. And, and funny enough, Murray was in here visiting today. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's really thrilled about the Wasted Lives. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And you also, Colin, you did the first 7-inch by the Subhumans? Yeah, yeah, that was me. The rare 7-inch. That's right. The very it was first, consigned very first by one. Andy. Uh, I don't know if Andy was on that one. I no, can't. he consigned it at Lyle's. That's how he met you. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, Ocean was a place I started to do some work at, you know, with AV. I mean, that was the first time I was in there, and that's when I met Andy originally. So Tim we, Ray, let's, yeah, let's say, yeah, Tim was, Ray. There's Tim and myself. And the first punk 7-inch out of Vancouver. Would right. you agree? Correct, yep. Phil? Time first, first DIY, actually, yep. And uh, so it was great because we were all living together, and uh, it was easy to kind of coalesce around the music. And so Tim was, you know, he had a job, which was unheard of, and I had quit my job to move into the house. So there's Bill and, and Tim and I, and then the dish rags started coming over from Victoria, so they would stay in the house. Um, and, you know, that was just a natural kind of progression. Everybody just... What do you remember about the Subhumans? Because doing the first Subhuman 7-inch... Yeah, well, Dimwit was the drummer. And that's That was like the big deal for me because yeah, incredible, you know. And how do you record this guy without like blowing all your microphones out? You know, he's such a heavy <laughs> hitter. And... Um, the master tapes. Where are the master tapes from the O Canada session, Jason? You must know. Uh, you know what? I think that when the Subhumans reformed and they did that group stint of gigs, I think it was around 95, I think they sold the rights 
uh, you know, and gave over their masters. Oh no! Actually, I think Jerry Hanna still has to, what still has the actual master tapes from O Canada oh, Death Deaths of the Sickoid Seven Inch. What, what do you remember, Colin, about recording bands? Did you hand over their tapes afterwards? How did that work? Generally speaking, yeah. Although if quintessence was involved, and then there was like you know the third way, uh, and you would just like collaborate with either Grant or, or Jerry or until he left Ted, Ted Thomas. Um, and and then, even with you, Jerk, uh, once it came out on Quintessence, Polydor came around, and they wanted to reissue, uh, so you end up dealing with them, and they wanted an uh, issue of, I think, 5,000, and so they pressed them, and and then it turned out that I, I opened up the album, took the vinyl out, and there's about three inches of blank vinyl on both sides. I said, what have you done? They pressed it at 33. So that's how you can tell the difference between quintessence and polygram is polygram is 33 on a regular 12-inch and quintessence, of course, is 45, which is the way we originally designed it. And I never see, actually, any of the U-Jerks polygram issue. Is it pretty rare? Uh, Not as rare as the quintessence. And the quintessence, I mean, I think we only did 500. Max, I thought you guys got out of the Polydor deal. What do you think of no, that? No, we just let it expire. Uh, I think it, it had a timeout on the contract. Um, I think it was like maybe a five-year contract. Because the other band was like Blue Northern that got the deal with Polygram. Like Quintessence oh, put out Blue Northern. Billy oh, called. I, right, right, Billy. Billy. Yeah, yeah, Billy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was wow, curious, so I was curious, like... They continued on with Polygram. Yeah, well, you know, they're much more sellable. And the other thing that happened with Ujerk is once we got the record deal, that was the end of the band. Because, you know, you've got Jeff, and you've got Rodney, and you've got Ian Wallace, and they're all, like, just at the top of their game or about to be. And, you know, the art world is global, and it calls, and Jeff became a living master after about another decade. And uh, Ian is supremely influential, and Rodney is a genius. You know, I mean, it's an, it's an incredible lineup if you look at, you know, the individuals in U-Jerk. Um, but the top the top guys, and they're all guys, uh, are also amazing artists and, and of international stature. So that was their focus, and that's why the band decided just to hang it up, because we produce something that is timeless, and we could pursue it, but... You know, there's other pursuits. I mean, I went into the art world as well, and you know, Phil knows all about that. He's, we have very parallel paths of of working with artists internationally. Thank you, Emily Carr. Uh, no, I I had no idea. Well, the recent record was on Emily Carr, kind of. Oh, the live, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. Re- thank but you, Kathy. The, the Subhuman Seven Inch that was pretty neat. Like, did you, were you blown away by that? The uh, recording? Uh, I I was pretty happy. I mean, it was kind of the first production I had done on a formal basis. Um, I think, you know, in in hindsight, there's always stuff that you want to change. But, um, uh, yeah, ultimately, I think it worked out pretty well. And what about the master tapes, Jason and Phil? Where were the master tapes for The Wasted Lives? Phil Phil sort of accessed them all. I'll let him take the stage there. Um... Well, a couple of them were with the Phil Smith album because there were two Wasted right. Lives tracks on there. Uh, I think, didn't we have to do a needle drop, Jason, on Divorce? divorce. Yeah, yeah, we, we did Divorce from, from Vinyl. Um, oh, sorry, we, sorry. Sorry about that. 
Sorry to reveal. That no, no, that's no, fine. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Cool. There's no secrets. <laughs> and you know, that, um, that, master's, that master's gone is the thing. You know, like, Grant McDonald was able to rescue quite a few from uh, IRC before they closed, but that was that was definitely gone. See, I that's mean, that's where a lot of mass chasings, right? They were, they were the pressing plant, what was it called? PRC. IRC. IRC. Um, when they closed, a lot of the masters ended up in the ocean. So. Oh. And yeah. what songs were needle dropped? Wirehead? Just, nope. Just, no. Uh, no, just divorce. Just divorce, yeah. And Jason, the other release you put out is The Stiffs. We had Zippy phone in earlier. What can you yeah. say about The Stiffs? Well, that was a lot of fun. I worked solely with Sid on the thing. So, yeah, Zippy hasn't even got a copy yet. uh, I got in touch with him more recently than anything else. But, yeah, we had original source tapes. So we we transferred the original three-song master tape uh, done at Ocean that's been taken good care of all this time. We did have to bake it. Um, There were two copies of each song, and we actually, I think one of them, we had to sort of put the two together. Um, it was the same tape, but there was something wrong with the mix or something. Maybe there was a defect. Yeah, that's a that's a good overview. You know, they, we did have a version of "Slave to My Dick" uh, that we could have used. Uh, it just didn't have the same kind of impact as the other originals did. So I, I thought the subhuman version was a little better. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool to have all those studio songs. What would have been their first seven inch, and then all these bonus tracks. You know, there's the stuff done at Chuck Biscuits. Uh, about a week before they went in the studio. And there's also the, the whole record, uh, just it ends off with a, a very, very cool song as well, which is a bit different than the rest. And it's going to be a record release party. Again, we're speaking to Jason Flower from Supreme Echo Records, also Colin from The Wasted Lives, and Phil from The Wasted Lives. There's going to be a party next Friday, right? Everybody's invited. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to we're going to have everybody from the band there. We're also going to have DJ Jeff McCloy. I'm sure we'll have a lot of old friends showing up. Everyone's welcome. The record will be for sale, and then as well on top of that, uh, the next day we'll do the in stores at Neptune and Music Madhouse and Voodoo, and again everyone will be there. And yeah, the records will be available everywhere. And next Friday at What's Up Dog. What's up, Hot Dog? Also, you're releasing Triton Warrior, Satan's yeah. Train. What a yeah. name from like 74, 73, 72. 72. Yeah, I love it. And yeah. I love the YouTube quote of one of the songs by uh, by Triton Warrior. It says, damn, damn, death metal posers wish they were this heavy. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't read that one. That's great. But, yeah, you know, it's it's really early metal for, for Canada, you know. It's very dark and heavy. Now, that particular record, Triton Warrior, how did that work? That was on one of Art Snyder's later, later labels. How did that work? They, how did they get on that label? Did they just give them money and then left with a bunch of vinyl? Okay, I didn't. I don't know the connection you're really making. I guess I just I don't know who Art Snyder is. Art Snyder is the guy that run, ran the vintage label, and oh, Triton okay. Warrior were initially on vintage records, and it was yeah, run yeah. by Art Snyder. So I was curious, how did Triton Warrior get on that label? Did it just give okay. Art money and then left with vinyl? Yeah, so I didn't know uh, the uh, details of who Art Snyder was, actually, but, uh, you know, Ken certainly never told me. But what it is, is it's just a brokering service. Uh, another, you know, Eastern Canadian, Ontario, uh, Quebec one was Mark Productions. 
which was a studio based in Ottawa. So the, the Specs 45 I did a few years ago from 76, it's done through a, a broker service at a studio. So it's really random what was on vintage. Basically, if you were an independent musician and you wanted a local business person to uh, you know, help you make a record, you could be on, on, on that label. Yeah, so they, they did the 45. They basically they financed it themselves. And the thing that I'm releasing now is that as a demo acetate that I did about six months earlier, and there's no, there was only one copy in existence. Their name was misspelt on the label, Triton. That's like tri- And that's probably why it was, you know, a, a vanity pressing. You were also releasing the Vendetta. And what is the connection to Jeff Pavir? I couldn't understand the connection to Jeff Pavir. Is he in the band? No, 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 no. He was a concert goer at the time. So, so he was, you know, just reflecting. He'd, he'd written an article that was in conjunction with uh, a reissue of uh, some Rotters Club recordings, you know, which is the, the premier punk venue of Ottawa, which I think really caused a ruckus in the city at the time. So, yeah, he, was, he had written an article reflecting on that era. Now, speaking of banners, backdrops, Ark Fiend, Ark Fend. Arcane, yeah. What is the difference between them and wasted lives? Oh, well, uh, about half a decade and a completely different upbringing. Yeah, Arcane, uh, you know, the, the first, let's say, three most important, I, I should say five, but it would take too long, underground metal bands from Victoria were Armorist, which were initially some kind of power metal and eventually became thrash. There was Mission of Christ which were skater punk kids that got into metal and were, were certainly the best, most important underground band here in the United States. But at the same time, uh, a lesser known and really uh, important group was Arc Fiend. And they were more evil. Uh, they had crazy, you know, nail spike wristbands. The hair was longer. And uh, yeah, I, I've uh, accessed this old 1987 banner to use as the front cover. It's obviously a bit of an homage to Celtic Frost. It's got a similar symbol on it. Is the Stiffs release going to be a 12-inch? Which were the Stiffs? No, the Stiffs is a 7-inch. It's a 7 uh, seven inches, 33 RPM. It's about 13 and a half minutes. How many songs? It's seven songs. We actually could have done it at 45 uh, in retrospect, but that's okay. Where do you get your flexi-discs made? In Czechoslovakia? I have, yeah, I deal direct. I find that the brokers, just, you know, the more people that get their money on, in your pockets along the way, there's more chances for something to go wrong. So I just go direct with the tech factory and I consistently cut them around. Um, yeah, and they're like metal masters. They're better than old flexies. And you were going to do next Active Dog? Yeah, yeah. The Active Dog project has, has changed a little bit. Uh, they decided that they want to leave the old 7 inch. Uh, so slightly unavailable. It's, you know, you can get it online and stream it and stuff, but we're going to be going for some other unreleased recordings, which are phenomenal. I mean, I just, I love the sense of melody. Uh, there's a real high energy to sing. Great. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming. Uh, there's going to be a Witch's Family 7 inch reissue of the first uh, 12 inch EP. Uh, there's Plan 9, which is a premier punk group from Calgary. And the reaction, I actually haven't announced it, so now I've announced it. Uh, Let's say the very first, or one of the very first punks from Newfoundland, the reaction will have a seven-inch of their early material as well. Thank you very much for calling in and arranging this interview with the Wasted Lives and the Stiff, Jason. How rare was the original seven-inch, the Wasted Lives seven-inch? Because I've never seen it. I've never yes. seen it. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's got a it's got a pretty good value. Um, it's worth you know a, a bit over a hundred at least, and does not turn up often. That's the thing. I really think, as brilliant as the cover obviously is, uh, it just it, it gets lost amongst others. It does really stand out, but most people have no idea what it is. Well, thanks very much, Jason. Anything I want to add to the people out there at all? No, I just said uh, thank you. I, I think it's been a really great interview, and I'm really pleased that everybody was able to call in. Some really great questions, and I'll have some time listening to it. I look forward to seeing everybody Well, thank you very much, Jason. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do-do-loot-do. Jason Flower. Your record label guy. See you Friday, Jason. Your record label. Uh, next, uh, what for okay, the people Friday. out there again. Friday, May the 4th. Next Friday. Coming up on the 4th of May. All original. Waste all, Lives. All, Everybody will be there. All of the band members. And Jason. At What's Up Dog. And yourself. And many people that we know. And the next day at a whole bunch of record stores. Yes. But no gig? No. No. <laughs> Waiting for Japan. <laughs> and also, we began the show, Phil, with the Phil Smith album. Bev Davies, shout out to Bev Davies. She took this amazing shot. Yeah, that's a great shot. What do you remember about Budstocks? There was a lot of um, Budstocks for your band, and you played in different bands at Budstocks. Oh, everybody played at Budstock. Yeah, Budstock was incredible. Um I remember that particular band. I borrowed Nick Jones' leather pants on the condition that I return it to him for the, his next act. But by the time I got off stage, there were no pants left. Right. And it took me two years to pay him back, $10 a month. And that was Jimbo and the Lizard Kings. Jimbo and the Lizard Kings. Was that an original? Uh, original. Song. Like Waiting for You, Little Girl. Yes, it's the song the Doors would have written if Jim had lived. That's right. What do you remember about Budstock particularly? Do you have to bring your own tapes? Was it recorded by Grant Zulu? Uh, was it a benefit? to You know, how did, how did was, that work? It was recorded, I believe, by Ron Obvious. That's right. Uh, because they're really good board tapes. Yeah. Um, or it might have been Grant Zulu. It was also filmed, the whole thing, by Cable 4. But sadly... Despite rumors that occasionally these tapes will show up, um, they seem to have vanished. They're gone. The videos. You were also the manager of the Dish Rags. Was it your idea, local band of Dish Rags, to have them on RCA? Because it says on the record RCA really? on the label. Yeah. I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. That uh, modern records, Terry Morgan, because Dish Rags also had a release in Seattle. Yeah, how did that happen? Uh, ask Colin produced that one. So. Yeah, I, I I got asked by Dish Rags because we're very tight. In fact, I was just going to show you this thing, Maximum Rock and Roll. There's a whole amazing interview that I did with them that tells their origin story, and it's like one, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine. What month is that? Uh, Nine-page interview. Do you see what month? Yeah, I do. I, I think I have that one. Yeah, good. It's, it's a great interview. 2014 Maxim Rock and Roll. Yep. Yep, that's what, September. How did they hook up with Terry Morgan in Seattle? Uh, well, it was Harry Cool. I don't know about Terry Morgan. Because he did modern records. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um. 
he and Harry Cool wanted to um, do something with them. We ended up at, at um, uh, what's it called, Triangle Studios. And uh, that's where Nirvana ended up, you know, sometime later. Um, and we we laid down these tracks, and they went super smooth, and Jade was awesome in her playing and, and her uh, vocals, and, well, all three of them. And it was, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. And there's a great photo of uh, all of us just standing outside of the studio there. Um, and that was uh, Past Since Past. And that turned into Past Since Past, which was their 45. And it's got, I think, four or five really great songs on there. And then it's been repurposed and reissued and, you know, it recompiled. So the stuff was... I thought that was neat. It was out of Seattle. Guys yeah, are. well, they spent a lot of time in Seattle. Yeah, they, Do you they, remember gigs in Seattle? Yes, I remember dish- the Dishrags opening for the Ramones and the Ramones not showing up, one of the few shows they ever missed. So the Dishrags headlined. headlined the show. Yeah. yeah, but they also played the Paramount with uh, the, the Clash. The Clash, and I was there for that, and I was right down in front, all by myself, right in front of the stage in the pit, because uh, I've been there for the rags, so you know I can stay there, and there's nobody around me. Everybody's behind me, and the guy is right in front of me. Joe is like doing it. And there was an apple box that he came down on. He was about a foot away from me. And he had his microphone in his hand and he made this ungodly scream like about a foot away. Just like, I was just mesmerized. I didn't know what to do. It was like a real one-to-one moment, you know. And they uh, they just played their asses off. That was an amazing gig. And and the dish ranks came on and they just really held the house. I mean, it's a it's a big house at, at Paramount. And so they went over well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you know, the Clash were friends with them because they had already opened for them in Vancouver before. And so it's like you know, family time one more time. And all those years later, they remembered you. They remembered the dish rags. And then the dish rags were again with us at the Clash Coliseum gig yep, exactly. in another form. Exactly. So, yeah. As the raisinets? Or? As the raison d'etre. <laughs> right. Thank you again, Phil Smith and Colin Griffith, for coming out to CITR Radio. Especially, Phil, thank you for coming to the new CITR in person because the old CITR, you would send a lot of demos, wouldn't you, on cart. A lot of the record, I say cart cartridge, we put them in the cartridge, but a lot of the record was CITR demos, wasn't it? I went there first today. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't know the there, change. And the, uh, what, what do you think of the old CITR? It's completely obliterated, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's kind of weird ghost town over there now. But it's beautiful here, the new place. Yeah, it's a fantastic studio. Yeah. But thank you for coming to CITR because a lot of these songs were on CITR charts, weren't they? I only. Think so, yeah. Because they weren't on record, they were only on CITR. Correct. But now people can get a hold of the Wasted Lives 7-inch, right. finally. That's right. On the 4th, which is Friday. Come on down. Next Friday and Saturday. What's up, hot dog? Well, anything you want to add to the people out there, Wasted Lives. Um, right now, we're going to cut to Triton Warrior, right. Satan's Train, which Jason alluded to. And we might get to some Vendetta, Modern Rockers and the Stiff doing Fuck You. But anything you want to add about to the people out there at all? Well, I just want everyone to know that it's been an amazing project to rehabilitate something from the dead in a comprehensive archive with the booklet and the history and, and you know, all of the goodwill that has gone into this uh, from us and from Jason and the designers and everybody has really stepped up to, to meet what we thought was possible. So that's a thrilling a half when something like that can happen. 
Why should people care about the wasted lives, Phil? Why should people care? Oh, I don't know if they necessarily should, but um, we think it turned out well. And come on down to the party and see for yourself. And it rocks. Well, thanks much, Wasted Lives. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do loot do. Two bits. Thank you.